All right, y'all may have a seat. Uh, welcome, Fellowship Asheville. I'm so glad uh, that you're joining us here, whether you're here in person or, or online. We're, we're glad to have you. My name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here. And, and today, here's what I've been praying for as, as I've been praying for our time together. Uh, and it's this. I hope that we all uh, leave this place seeing Jesus more clearly than we did when we came in. And here's why. I believe that if we can see more of who Jesus is, our natural reaction to that as people of faith is to have more faith and more trust in him, right? And so, so, so what that means is that we can leave this place walking closer to Jesus with more faith and trust in him than we did when we came in, which is what I, I hope for. Now, when I was growing up, uh, we had a saying in our family uh, which a f- very, really very few people had the distinction of uh, being the recipients of this phrase, never to their face, so it's one of those, right? And it's this. It's, they are so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly good. Anybody ever hear that growing up? Yeah, my mom has a rough side, all right? So, so <clears throat> yeah, they're so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly good. And here's the deal, like, as a kid, that sounded like a compliment, right? But then it twists really quick there at the end, right? And, and, and here's what it was saved for. It was, it was saved for those particular church people, right, that attend church regularly, that know their Bible, but... They are also like unbridled gossips, right? Explosive anger. Or, and this was a big deal in our house, they were just flat out lazy when it came to helping others. They would let other people do that. Right? Have you ever been around folks like this? Right? Like, like you don't even have to believe the Bible. You don't have to know the Bible. But when you hear someone like this who does know the Bible and quote the Bible, like whenever you hear them quote the Bible, you think that might be what it says, but I'm not sure that's what it means, right? Maybe it was an Instagram post that you've seen recently. Maybe it was a conversation that you've been involved in or even overheard. Maybe the tragic events of the past few weeks have allowed you to see some of that in people that are around you. It's kind of brought that front and center. If so, then you know what it's like to be around the people that Jesus is going to be around today as we go through our passage today. And I hope today, here's, here's what happens to allow us to see Jesus better. I hope that we're able to identify what we're going to see today in other people, because I do think that's important. But even more important than that, I, I, I hope that we're able to identify this in ourselves and know what to do about it when we see it. Now, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 23 and then go to chapter 3, verse 6. And uh, we're, we're in the book of Mark this year, the letter of Mark. And yes, I said this year, we're going to be covering the book of Mark all the way up till, till Christmas season, till our Advent series starts. And what we're going to see is that this, this letter that Mark wrote is divided into three sections. The first part of Mark is who is Jesus. The, the middle part is, is what if what he said is true. And then the last part, you'll notice it's a clear distinction where we get to see what Jesus did to to pay the price for our our sins and to destroy uh, the power and penalty of sin in our life. And so what we've done so far in these first few chapters is we have been following Jesus. 
like seeing who he is by, by what he says and by what he does. And, and today, like we're going to see Jesus, I think, intentionally ruffle some feathers in some particular people. Jesus didn't mind ruffling feathers, right? He, he, he was an, art, an artist at ruffling the right ones. I'm not so good at choosing the right feathers sometimes to ruffle. ruffle. Jesus is, right? But what we're going to see doing, I want to set this premise for us, because what we're going to see Jesus do, he's going to do out of love, right? I said it last week, you know, the Pharisees in particular, the Sadducees, like, like as you read the Gospels, oftentimes it's real easy to give them a really bad rap. But what Jesus does, he does for the Pharisees, he does for the Sadducees, he does for the scribes because he loves them. And what Jesus wants is he wants them to live in his kingdom, not the kingdom they've created, right? That's why Jesus does what he does. Now, as, as we go through today's passage, here's something that I, that I, wanna, I want you to keep in mind, and we're going to talk about this, is, is this, that as we see these verses unfold in front of us today, I want us to keep this in mind. We are them, not him, Right? We are them, not him. Y'all say it with me. We are them, not him, right? It's cheesy. I get it, right? But here's the deal. When we read these passages, it's so easy for us to, to maybe associate ourselves with Jesus instead of associating ourselves with the people that Jesus is talking to, right? right? And so, so here's what I want us to do as we read through today's passage. I want you to hear that voice in you that says, you're not like them, and I want you to silence that voice, right? And I want you to pay attention to your own life, your own character, your own decisions, your own choices, your own thoughts that actually are more similar to the Pharisees than to Jesus. Because if, if you're anything like me, we love building our own kingdoms, right? And Jesus loves us. And he wants us to live in his kingdom. And so kids, students, adults, like, like, like let's do this. Let's, let's let Jesus be Jesus. And then let's be somebody else in this story. Right? Let's, let's look for, for the Pharisee in us. Because that's one of the points that I'm going to be driving home. That guess what, y'all? There is a Pharisee in me. There is a Pharisee in you. There is a Pharisee in us. All right, so I have another little repetition thing I want you to do. When I count to three, I want you to say, Fred, there is a Pharisee in me, right? And we can say that because Jesus loves us, right? Now, don't look convinced. Let's do it anyway, right? <laughs> One, two, three. Y'all are so smart. Good job. Good job. Well, let's, 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 let me pray for us as we dive into this passage. Jesus um, there is little Pharisees in us, um, and, and we're going to see a little bit more about who he is, about who she is, and we're going to see them in light of you. And I pray that as we do this, Father, that there, there will be a godly, holy sense of conviction that falls on us, and that that, 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 that sense of conviction is, is covered by this cloud of grace that you do love us and you want better for us. And so may we leave this place today better, walking closer with you. 
In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, chapter 2, verse 23 says this. It says, it says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, he being Jesus, and, they, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, what, look at, let's see, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath, all right? So, so, so the scene is this, right? I'm, I'm going to unpack some things because I want us to understand as closely as we can what this meant to the people that Mark wrote the letter to because there's some stuff in here that might get lost on us in our Western culture. And the first one of that is Sabbath, right? Now, this is not a sermon about Sabbath because that's not the point that Mark is making. That's not the point that Jesus is making here. It is simply the backdrop to what's happening. You ever been to a good play and the backdrop, the set is just awesome, right? That's what Sabbath is. And, and, and what Sabbath was to those in Jesus's time was incredibly important because it was anchored in their history. In the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, the very first book of Genesis, ends with this one family heading off to the land of Egypt. Joseph, one of the sons, was, was kind of the second-hand man in Egypt, and he was, he was there to take care of God's people and God's family. And so, so this family goes to Egypt. They get choice land. They become uh, shepherds in that land. And then, and then Genesis shuts down. And then hundreds of years later is when the book of Exodus opens up. And there's been like this, this I think in, in many ways, catastrophic shift between the way Genesis ended and the way Exodus begins. Because now this family has grown into this nation. And this nation uh, that we know as Israel is in Egypt, but the, the, the ruling class, the ruling structure of Egypt has changed. And so this family that was shepherds in choice land has now become slaves and servants to the Egyptians. Right? And as you read the book of Exodus, you see that they were treated horribly. Well, then you read on through, through Exodus and, and you see this guy named Moses, right? And God uses him to bring the Israelites out of captivity. Well, when they were slaves for the nation of, of Egypt, they had to work seven days a week, nonstop, long hours, incredibly hard working conditions. And then when they left Egypt and they were wandering through the, the desert, God gives them this gift, of Sabbath. He gives them a day to worship and a day to rest. And that's where Sabbath is instituted in this time of wandering. Like if you remember the manna that came from heaven, right? And they were told to, to harvest the manna every day except on the Sabbath. That the day before they would get twice as much and it wouldn't go bad and they could rest and they could worship. And so in simple terms, to the person reading this book, the Jewish person reading this book, Sabbath is this gift of 24 hours that's set aside once a week to worship and to cease from work, right? It's to worship God and to not work. Now, in that gift of, of Sabbath was even established in the law. In, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, like, like the law of the Old Testament is, is how God ordered and structured a relationship with him and how he wanted the Israelites to order and structure their relationships with each other and, and with the other nations around them. And this law was considered holy because God gave it to Moses and Moses gave it to the people like it was God's law, right? 
And in that law included the Sabbath. It was holy. Well, fast forward in time a little bit. Along come the Pharisees and and, and people like them. And because Sabbath and, and the other things in God's law were there, they really wanted to obey it. Right? Because God gave us this gift and we want to do it. And so, so what they did is they said, okay, if this, if this is holy, because we're, we really want to do that, we really want to be strict about it, what we're going to do is we're going to create rules so that we don't break God's laws. Right? Let me, let me illustrate this a little current time. All right, let's say speed limit 65. All right? We all know, we see the sign. Right? We all know, even on our little app, it reminds us. Right? If you've got, you know, some of them, they'll even tell you if a radar trap is up ahead or a police car is up ahead. Like, we, this is like a real life thing for us. Right? Speed limit 65, let's say. Well, let's say that instead of a government creating the speed limit, let's say God created the speed limit and he gave us the speed limit as a gift to us, right? So now we have this speed limit that is not just the government saying we need to do something. It is the very presence of God saying you shall not drive faster than 65, right? All of a sudden that would become a little more important to us, wouldn't it? Well, what if, because it was so important, we said, you know what? Just so we don't break the 65 limit, we're going to say 55 is now the new limit. And we're going to set this rule that says if anybody drives over 55, it is breaking the rule. It's not breaking the law yet, right? We're going to give you a buffer zone, a buffer rule. Like anybody, oh, this is so frustrating, right? Anybody have your computer ever start buffering on you? If you have a Mac, you got the little rainbow pinwheel thing spinning, right? Because your computer's having to think about it. I know I'm personifying that, but that's what's happening, right? You, you all think it. You're like, oh, it's thinking about it. I'll just wait. That's what the Pharisees did, is they created this space so people could think about what they were doing before they broke God's law. Well, over time, what seemed like a good idea between these rules and God's law, these buffer rules, became as holy as God's law. And so now... Going 55 was just as much of an infraction as going 65 to the Pharisees, right? That's where they went horribly wrong. They created these rules that over time became as holy as God's law. And so to the Pharisees, what they just saw with with Jesus and his disciples doing Jesus is breaking one of their buffer rules. Not God's law, but he's breaking one of their buffer rules. Because to them, that was the same thing. But y'all, here's what we have to understand about Jesus, to understand later on what's happening in this book, is that Jesus never once broke God's law. That God's law was given to represent God's heart and God's holiness and God's goodness and God's kindness and, and how we were to act with and, and around each other. But, but what we see here is Jesus will continually break and push against the Pharisees' buffer rules, right? And he will continually show them that these rules are fine. Like, it's not a big deal until it doesn't reflect the heart of God anymore. Because, because in God's law harvesting, well, let me back up a little bit. 
And the Pharisees' buffer rules, harvesting of any kind, was bad on Sabbath, right? Because it's a day to cease work and to worship. And if somebody's out harvesting their grain, guess what they're doing? They're working. And there was no excuse to harvest grain, even if that means plucking it as you walked. However, in God's law, that was permissible. It was permissible to walk through somebody's grain. I'm going to show you in just a minute. It was permissible to walk through somebody's grain and pick it if you were hungry and if you were in need. Because here's something that we see in the Pharisees, and it's something that we see in the Pharisee in me. It's something that we see in the Pharisee in you. Is that what they were doing, these these buffer rules, right? For them, you couldn't pick grain under any situation, even if you were in need, right? And if you were in need, that just meant you had to stay in need until the Sabbath was over. Then you could go pick the grain. If you're hungry, guess what, buddy? You got to wait. Because we're on our way to church right now. See, the Pharisee in me, that makes sense. Because here's the Pharisee in me. Here's what, here's what the, the Pharisee wants to do, that they want to follow the rules they created, even if those rules don't reflect the heart of God. Right? A Pharisee wants to be right, but not always righteous. The Pharisee in me loves the phrase, the ends justify the means. Right? And we can be like the Pharisees. Can't we? I mean, I, I know I can. Like, do you ever want, now this is an honest question, an honest moment, don't give me the church answer, but do you ever want to be right even if it means doing the wrong thing? Not going to ask for feedback on that one, right? How about this? Do you have rules of faith, not based on God's law? Well, maybe based in God's law, but it's kind of contorted since then. Like, I know I have rules of faith that I expect people to follow, right? And oftentimes, they're mostly based on my personality, right? Like, I expect Christians to be nice. I'm so glad I didn't meet Jesus when he was turning over tables in the temple. Right? I would have had issues. The Pharisee in me would have screamed loud about that one. I still struggle with some of the language that it looks like Paul uses in the New Testament. I'm not sure I would like Paul that much. Right? Because the Pharisee in me wants people to be nice. If someone's not nice, sometimes I wonder about their, their salvation because they seem so different from me. And maybe you have rules too, like, like, like Christians are to vote a particular way, i.e. the way you do, right? Pharisee in me screams that, right? Christians should dress a certain way, the way that you think is appropriate. Christians should speak a certain way, usually the way you do, the way I do. That Christian kids should behave a certain way. And typically that Pharisee in me wants them to be perfect. Good luck with that. Christian students need to be perfect. Pharisee in me expects A's all the time. You see, we all have our own version of buffer rules. Still don't believe me? Remember, during the pandemic, during that season where 
Like masks were still required in some places, but not. And then there were some people that never wore a mask anyway, and some people that wore a mask in and, and, and places where you didn't have to wear masks. Do you remember that, what that Pharisee in me said during that season? Like no matter what side you were on, if you were like people should wear masks and you go to the store and somebody's not wearing a mask, what'd that Pharisee in me have to say about that, Right? Or maybe you're on the not wearing mask and you go to a place like you're outside, right? And it's this beautiful day and people got masks on. What is the Pharisee in me screaming? Right? And y'all, this is why it's so dangerous to, to, to give that Pharisee in me space. When, when, we, when we open back up again, uh, this is off script, so it may be completely awful to share, but why not? We're family. When we opened back up again as a church, like, nobody knew what, we, what they were doing, right? There was no rule book. They didn't have Pandemic 101 in seminary and church leadership. We'd never been through it. But as we led through it, what we knew we needed to do was pray and, and, and pull together as a staff, pull together as elders, and ask, God, what do you want us to do? And we'll do that. And so that's what we did. And as we opened back up, we opened back up with, with caution. You know, I think I've shared this before. One of the things that, that as a staff we knew is we knew that there were green light people, yellow light people, and red light people. And green light people were like, you know, they're not going to wear masks. They're, they're going to do their own thing. And they're okay with that. And yellow light people were like people we want to enter into society again, but we're cautious. And then red light people, for various reasons, were people, they're just not getting out of their house, Right? And most of them for very good reasons during those early stages of the pandemic. And we really felt Jesus say, you need to be a church for yellow light people. Be cautious so they can come back. And we did. And y'all, I got a phone call from someone who, who stopped coming to church during that season. They're very happily, and I blessed them there at another church. But their question for me, in the midst of that, that Pharisee in them, when I told them we went through this and how many hours we'd spent in prayer about this, he goes, oh, y'all prayed about this decision? See, the Pharisee in me had some words, which are not useful to share in a public environment, right, about the Pharisee in him. Because of course we prayed. But see, the Pharisee in us wants to be right, but not righteous. Right? That's why this matters. That's why this is a big deal. Because, because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to speak to the heart and the truth of God in the midst of that. And he's going to show where that Pharisee in us, that Pharisee in me, those buffer rules, he's going to show where they don't reflect the heart of God. And there's also another person in this story that shows us a better way. Look at verse, at verse 25. I promise I won't take that long on every two verses. Or we'll be here till one. It's fine. All right. Uh, 25 says this. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was in hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in, in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any uh, any but the priest to eat, 
and also gave it to those who were with them. So here's what Jesus is doing. They ask this question, why do you and your disciples eat on the Sabbath? Why do you harvest on the Sabbath? And what Jesus is doing is he's showing them, like, guys, this has been done before. You know, lawyers, lawyers call it setting precedent, right? Like, like, this is what he's doing. And what he could have done is he could have gone directly to God's law. Because, because look at what Deuteronomy says. Deuteronomy 23 says this, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, which they did, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Y'all, that is exactly what Jesus and his disciples were doing. They were walking through the field and they were plucking the grain as they walked and ate it because they were hungry and they were in need. You see, this is where God's law says it's okay to do what they were doing. Now, this verse, I think, would have silenced the Pharisees, but, but instead, Jesus points to another part of the Old Testament, right? Because he has something for the disciples to see. He has a story of God's heart for them to see, that their buffer rules are actually not reflecting the heart of God. Jesus tells them the story about, it, it happened in, in 1 Samuel where David and his men are, are traveling through and they go into the temple. And what they do is they eat the bread in the temple as they're passing through. And, and this, this bread was like sacred bread. And, and instead of the priest turning them away, because that was his bread, and he was said by God and God's law that this bread is just for the priest alone. And there were all these reasons why and all this stuff. But instead of this priest turning them away, this priest says, oh, here, take it. I've got more. Take it because they're in need. You see, Jesus is letting them know that God's heart is for those in need, right? God's heart is for those who need help. And so why does Jesus tell this story instead of quoting Deuteronomy? Because I think he's making a point here too. For those who have, who have eyes to see and ears to hear, which is something that he will say and pray over the, the Pharisees. You see, David was this king, right, in this story, who got to enjoy the bread of a priest. And the nation of Israel is waiting for a Messiah that is both priest and king, right? And Jesus is using this story because he's letting them see that he is the better David, that he is the one who is peace, priest and king, and he and his disciples are better than David and his mighty men because a new kingdom is coming with a king who is king and priest and who does something, by the way, that no human uh, priest or king, by the way, would really do. Because notice this, for, for, for like to get into the details a little bit, who does it say, who does Mark say was walking through the field plucking the grain? Look back and who does it say? The disciples were picking the grain. Jesus wasn't doing it. The disciples were picking the grain. But what Jesus does is he takes the responsibility of their mistake to the Pharisees. If you're a Pharisee, it is sin what they did. And Jesus gladly takes on the consequences of that. See, no priest and king will take on himself, will take on hers of the consequences of sin. Only Jesus does that. You see, a human priest or king often leaves us to bear the responsibilities all to ourselves. Jesus takes them on. You see, the heart of the Pharisees 
knew, right, the heart of the Pharisees wanted to do what was right, but they forgot sometimes to do what is righteous. And Jesus knows that being righteous means that we carry and care for the needs of those who are in need as they are in need. And let me ask you, do you have this type of Pharisee in you, right? Like, you know what the Bible says about helping others? You've, you, 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 you've read the books. You know that it's speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves. It is, it is the, 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 the story of the Good Samaritan. Like, like you know all this stuff, but, but the Pharisee in you is happier reading books and memorizing the Scriptures than actually helping someone and getting messy doing it. Maybe you'd rather, li- maybe you'd rather give to missions than be the kindest person on your street, right? You'd rather give to missions than go talk to your neighbor, right? That's the Pharisee in me loves to do that, right? Or maybe the Pharisee in you loves to say, you know what? I know giving is important because what you have is from the Lord, like all the verses. But the Pharisee in me says, let's wait to the end of the month instead of the beginning of the month to give. Let's see what's left over. Right? You'd rather nod your head when we talk about spiritual gifts because the Pharisee in me loves spiritual gifts and can identify them and has done all the tests. But when it's time to build up the, the body and to use them for the good of the church, the Pharisee in me is just more comfortable knowing what spiritual gifts are. Right? You see, in the face of this story, The Pharisees understand Jesus' intent right now, and they don't like it. The Pharisee in me, the Pharisee in you won't like it either. Look at verse 27. Verse 27 says this, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for men, for man, and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, there it is. Like, Sabbath was made for men. It was a gift from God to you. And then he drops this bomb to really ruffle their feathers. And he says, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is saying, guys, guess what? If I tell you your buffer rules are wrong, they're wrong. Because just like Sabbath is a gift from God, I am the Son of Man, and what I say about the Sabbath is holy. Now, the Pharisee in me loves that, right? The Pharisee in me loves when Jesus points out a buffer rule and says that it's not actually reflecting the heart of God and to change it. No, he doesn't, right? And, and the Pharisee in you won't either, right? Which is why the Pharisee in you, when it's hitting, when God, when Jesus is hitting one of those rules, it takes a different posture. Look at chapter three. It says, again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So, so, so now, remember, Sabbath is the backdrop. It's a different Sabbath. And now the Pharisees see Jesus coming to church, right? And they're like, he's been healing people left and right. I know he's going to heal somebody here today. And y'all, that is work. And we're not going to put up with it. Healing someone, right? They've come to church wanting people now to be sick wanting people to be invalid, wanting them to be bound by Satan himself. Because that's right. But it's not righteous. You see, the Pharisee in me does this. Pharisees make good things seem bad. Right? Pharisees make good things seem bad. We're going to see next, uh, well, actually in two weeks, 
Pharisees even make God things seem demonic. That's how bad it gets. You see, they're looking at Jesus and they want to catch him for healing a guy on the Sabbath. Healing an invalid man on the Sabbath to them is bad. Why? Because it's work to them. Right? Because, because they have to get their oils out. They have to get their, their, their verses all together to know. Because if this is demonic, we've got these rituals that we go through and all this stuff. But what they don't know is for Jesus, it's not work. All Jesus is going to do is speak. Which isn't work. So for them, it was work. For Jesus, it's not. Watch this. In verse 3, it says this. Um, It says, And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them. I bet they were silent, right? But he looked around at them and with anger grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. You see, Jesus' anger is housed in grief and this, um, uh, because, this, because he loved the Pharisees. This is actually how I, I think I, I believe and know that he loved the Pharisees. And, and Chip Dodd is this uh, counselor, and he wrote this book called The Voice of the Heart, which talks about the main emotions we experience. And he's a believer, and he talks about uh, the, the godliness in these emotions. And here's what he says about grief. He says, grief is where we honor the loss of what we've loved. That's what grief is. You, you grieve because you love, right? And part of the grief process is anger. And what Jesus is doing is he's looking at these Pharisees because he loves them and they are lost. And they've had the kingdom of God laid out in front of them and they've chosen their kingdom instead. And that's why he, he's grieving because he loves them and they are now lost. And that's why he's angry because their, their hearts are hardened. They've chosen their own version of holiness. So much so that when Jesus is standing, when God is standing in their very presence, they don't want anything to do with him. And to Jesus, he feels that loss. But the invalid man, the man with the withered hand, y'all, he's our better person in this story. Right? He's the person that we need to see because he shows his faith in Jesus, right? Again, Jesus broke no law. He just spoke to the man. And he told the man, stretch out your hand. And as he stretched out his hand, he was healed. And what's interesting about this is that process happened. It wasn't he was healed and stretched out his hand. It was he had a withered hand. And as he stretched it out, all of a sudden he could move it more. All of a sudden, he could move it more. All of a sudden, the color came back into it. All of a sudden, he had full mobility in his hand where he didn't before. And as he stretched it out, he was healed. Y'all, that is how we deal with the Pharisee in me. Is when Jesus responds, we say, okay, I'll do it. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know if this is going to work, but I'll follow you. And as we do... We are healed. You see, without doing that, without letting Jesus be the one 
where our faith in and, and, and our following of Jesus, to let that overrule the Pharisee in me, the Pharisee in you, the Pharisee in us. Without that, we will follow the progression of the Pharisees, right? We'll be worried about following rules instead of the rules of our own making, instead of the true heart and nature of God. We'll only see the bad instead of the looking for the good. And in following Jesus, we can be healed. But the Pharisee in me, if it continues to have this loud voice that leads us further and further away from the heart of God, even with, with Scripture memory verses attached to it, look, look at what happens in verse 6. It says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. You see, eventually, the Pharisee in me, the Pharisee in you, the Pharisee in us, will lead us to a place where we're actually standing against Jesus instead of with Jesus. And so if you can hear my voice, hear me on this. I want you to stand with Jesus, not against him. Right? Would you let today be the day that you find life and life to the full in Jesus? Would you be like the invalid man? And when Jesus says, follow me, you say, yes, I have no idea what that means, but here we go. Right? And begin to stretch out your hand. Right? Because when Jesus says, follow me, we have a very simple response, yes or no. And not yet is no. Right? And I want you as a church, to say yes. And so when Jesus says, follow me, church, what is our response? Okay, that, that is a response time. Let me rephrase that. When, when, when Jesus says, follow me, what do we say? Yes. You see, now, for some of you, whether you're here in line, like saying yes to following Jesus, is your first step of life with him. And let's have a chat if that's the case. You can email me at Fred at Fellowship Asheville. Let's talk. For those of us who have said yes to Jesus, can I give you a very simple tool that helps silence the Pharisee in me? Y'all want to know what it is? I'm going to give you a very simple question, right? And this question could have changed how the Pharisees treated the disciples. It could have changed how the Pharisees treated Jesus. It could have opened their heart to see Jesus for who he is. And it's this. It's how can I help? How can I help? Y'all, that one simple question, if they would have seen the Pharisees, I mean, if they would have seen the disciples, if the Pharisees would have seen the disciples coming through the field in need, eating grain, and they would have said, how can I help? It would have changed their posture, wouldn't it? They'd have been like, those guys, they need something to eat. Let's take them home, right? If they would have shown up to church and seen a, a, a man with a withered hand there and asked, how can I help? They would have shouted for joy when Jesus came in the door that day because he's the one, he's the one that can help. Jesus, right, 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 right. here's your guy. He's ready. We've been praying for him. We've been doing what we can. There's nothing. He needs you. It would have changed everything. Y'all, as a church, when we see the craziness around us, and it's so easy to say they should have, they could have, what if instead we say, how can I help? That changes everything. Jesus 
instead of giving that Pharisee in me a voice of condemnation, right, of, of wanting to control, of wanting to, 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 yeah, to speak for you instead of allowing you to speak, would you put those words on my mouth of how can I help? And would you help us silence the Pharisee in us? Help us see you instead of the you we want to see. In Christ's name I pray, amen.